So last week we started, we announced that we're starting a brand new series, Ephesians, and we looked at Paul, and we looked at the importance of Ephesus, and one of the big things we talked about last week is this idea of calling. Uh, Ephesians 4.1, Paul calls the church to live a life worthy of the calling, that each and every one of us has been called by God to do something that only we can do. And so the book of Ephesians has really got Paul unpacking this idea. What does it mean to live a life worthy of it? How can we know what our calling is? And chapter 1, Paul does not waste any time. He just dives right into it. So without any further ado, we're just going to go. Ephesians 1, if you got your Bible, it's also on the app. And uh, you can make notes or do whatever you need to do. But Ephesians 1, starting at verse 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So right out of the gate, Paul says... I have been chosen by God to do this. I am an apostle, not by my own doing, not by anyone else's doing. I have been chosen by God to do this. And the first question that pops out when I was thinking about that is, how sure of your calling are you? How sure of you are you? Like, if, if someone came up to you and asked, if, well, you pick on Paul. Someone came up to Paul and asked, what has God called you to do? Paul's just like, I'm an apostle. This is the thing that God has chosen me to do. This is how I fit into God's plan. And he just, with that boldness, that surety, just I know that I know that I know that this is what I have been chosen to do. Now granted, when Paul's writing this, he's in prison. He's been at this for a while. So he's had some experience. He's, he's had some time to like figure this out. But the question is still for us, do we have that surety? Do we have that assurance that I know that I know that God has a plan and this is my part in it? And if you don't have that surety, then the question is, is that isn't that something worth figuring out? Wouldn't that be something worth spending your time and your prayers and reading God's word to figure out what is this thing that God has put me on? Because there's nothing more freeing to know what our part in God's plan, there's nothing more liberating, there's nothing more exciting to know that this is how my gifts and my talents and my experiences and everything comes together for this one thing. And everything else that I do and every person that is around me all gets to be a part of this thing that God has called me to do. And there's a lot of people go through life not able to answer that question and Unfortunately, many go through life trying to fill that hole with things that just do not fit in that hole. And they fill their time, they fill their life, they fill their mind with things that are contrary to that calling. When all the while, God's like, it's not a secret. I will tell you what I made you for. I will tell you how you fit into the plan. And you will find fulfillment you will find purpose you will find joy you'll find everything <laughs> that you're missing right now the question is how sure of you of your calling now I, i've said it before and i'll say it again i know that i know that i know that this is what god has called me to do i know that i know that i know and now granted i've been at it for a few years so i've had some time to iron it out and i've had time to question it but at this point in my life i know that i am called to a pastor on behalf 
of the Lord Most High. I know that, but I don't question it. And you can poke me at it, and I'm like, nope. If I have to stop doing church, I don't know what I'm going to do. Because this is what I'm called to do. This is the thing that God put me on the earth to do. So the question is, what has God put you on the earth to do? What is your call? And how sure are you of that call? The other thing that Paul talks about is grace and peace. He said, may the grace and peace of God fill you. And this is something that's going to come up a lot in Ephesians. Uh, I think he mentions the word grace like 12 times and peace eight or ten, a lot. He talks about it a lot, and the one thing that I think we can all really use more of in life is a little more grace and peace, probably one more than the other. Uh, I don't know about you, but even when life's going good, I'm like, yeah, I still need some healthy doses of grace and peace. Um, So, as we said last week, Ephesians is meant to be meditative, so I want you to meditate on these words, Uh, especially near the end of this chapter. They're Paul gives this great big list of things that he wants us to dwell on. He wants us to understand better. He wants us to be meditating and getting it into our mind and getting it into our heart and getting it into our being um, so that we can experience this grace and peace that he's talking about. Uh, Continuing on in the chapter, starting in verse 3, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Paul starts off, after he introduces himself, he starts the chapter with something called a doxology. And a doxology is essentially a call to worship. And Paul goes on for the next five verses to list off all these incredible reasons why we should be worshipful of God, right? He chose us from before time began. You have been set apart. You have been been adopted. He pours out grace and peace and goodness and kindness on us in abundance. He lists off all these great and amazing and loving things that our God and Father do for us on a regular basis. He's just like our only response really is to praise and to worship him because God has been so good because he didn't withhold anything, not even his own son. Now, I was thinking about how he starts off. When you go through most of Paul's letter, he starts with a doxology. He starts off with (coughs) God is so good and he lists off all the reasons that God is so good and how he pours out his goodness daily. And I was sitting there and couldn't help but hear, hear the Spirit say, what if? What if we did the same thing in our lives with everything that we did? What if we started our day thinking about all the good things that are happening in our life? What if we started every day with remembering all the reasons that we worship God, all the reasons that God has proven himself to be so good? What if that's how we started our day? What if we started every conversation finding and thinking about the good things that are happening in life and celebrating the good things that God is doing and 
Because the problem is, is that that's so contrary to the way that we've been conditioned by media and social media. And what do we do? First conversation. Oh, Trudeau's at it again. Right? How many, how many people have, that's been like the way every conversation started? Yeah. <laughs> right? And the, the list goes on. Oh, it's so hot out today. Oh, the bugs are, like, there is a myriad of things for us to complain about. And I'm not downplaying that. I'm not saying, yes, life is tough. I get it. But do we really need to start there? Do we really need to, like, I, bleh, who wants to be around people who start every conversation on the negative? Like, I, I, God's like, really? This is how we're going to start the prayer? God, this is everything wrong with my life. I need you to fix it. Even the way Jesus taught us to pray, how did he start? He didn't start with, God, forgive me for my sins. That's a depressing way to start a prayer. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Worshipful is your name. Above every name is your name. God, praise and honor and glory to you. So Jesus taught us to pray. So Paul starts every letter, oh God, you are so good. God's people, we need to be worshipful. We need... So what if we pick that up? What if we were more intentional to start everything on a good note? And I get it. I, like I said, I know life can be tough. And this can be really hard, and this is going to take time. But if you walk away with remembering nothing else this morning, this is the most pragmatic, applicable thing you can do right out of the gate, is start everything. Even as soon as I say, amen, first conversation, start with something good. I'm watching. I'll know, red verse, you're off the hook, but Darren's watching. What if we just started, like, what if we were just started being obnoxiously optimistic? And we all know those people, really, right? Like, they break one arm, they're like, well, at least I didn't break both. Like, really? You broke your arm. But I think the one thing that would change is that people might actually want to be around us. What if your neighbor or your coworker is going through a really tough time right now, and they are talking to you, and you are just the person who finds the silver lining in everything. You are the one who's like, you know what? God is working. God is doing something good. I might not be able to see it right now, but I know that my God is bigger than the situation, and today is going to be a good day. Everything has gone sideways so far, but it's still a good day. I, if I'm having a bad day, as much as like the obnoxiously optimistic drive me crazy, I still want to be around them. Right? If I'm having a bad day, I want to find that person and hope it just kind of rubs off a little bit on me. I want some of that optimism. I want some of that, that joy. I want some of that peace. I, I'm tired of seeing the cloud, and I want to see the sun behind the cloud. What if that was the one thing we walked away and did different, and all of a sudden the world took notice and said, man, there's something different about God's people because they just seem to see the good in everything. And I've really tried to point out the bad, and they just won't see it. They just have a positive spin on everything. It drives me bonkers. It will. It'll drive some people crazy, but they'll appreciate it. What if we started everything on a good note? What if we 
what if we were more intentional to see the good things God is doing in the midst of the challenge and the struggle? I would be so bold to say that this may be the, one of the most important things we do if we're struggling with anxiety or depression or fear. Because all of those things assume the worst. All of those things assume that everything's going to end in disaster, everything's going to turn against us, and we're just going to end up being a big old failure. It's true. I've, I've struggled with some of that stuff. I get it. I know that it is like, that, that's how I get there. And all of a sudden, all I need is somebody to come along. Lately, it's Tim who comes along. And he's like, actually, everything's going really good. You need a better perspective, dude. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and, and then everything feels better. Reminds me that everything is not going to burn. But actually, everything's going to be good. So this is my encouragement. For if you are here and you struggle with those things, you struggle with anxiety or fear or depression or any myriad of... I, it all starts with just the assumption that everything's going to be bad. And what if you just started assuming that everything was going to be good? That everything was going to work out, that God was bigger than your situation and God's going to carry you through it. What if you just started focusing on the fact that you serve a good God who's bigger than your situation and everything's going to work out to your good. Let's start there. I got a lot more to do, so I got to keep moving. But anyways. It's interesting, before I read this verse, I'm going to leave it up because some of you need to read this and get it really sunk into your heart. One of the interesting things is, is that Paul wrote Philippians and Ephesians right around the same time. So he starts off Ephesians by talking about doxology, and as he finishes Ephesians and starts Philippians, he's still got this idea in his head. He says this to the Philippian church. He says, now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and praiseworthy. Nothing bad. Focus on the things that are good, that are true and honorable. Because so often, <laughs> nope, I'm not going there. I'm just going to leave that up. If nothing else, memorize this verse as well. Two things. Start everything. And I mean everything. Every conversation, every time you've got to rebuke an employee, start with something. Like, start good. And everything else gets better from there. Focus on the good. Okay, now, verse 9. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you as the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago, the Spirit of God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Now there's two things, or there's one thing that Paul repeats, and I'm going to finish with it, but I'm going to come. Paul talks a lot in this passage, and a little bit in the last passage, that we are chosen. 
Before time began, God chose us. And a lot of people say, well, that's, this is this whole idea of predestination, and some people are saved, and some people are not, and you don't have a choice. No, 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 no. What he's saying is God had a plan. Before he created the earth, before he formed it, before he, before he did anything, God had this plan. The plan started with creation and the forming of the earth and the separating of the waters, and he, it started there. And then we get to the end of the book, get to the end of the Bible, and what does it say? God creates a new heaven and a new earth, and everything will be redeemed, and sin and death will be defeated and destroyed and thrown in the lake. There's a plan. And one of the interesting things about what Paul is saying here, at the time when Paul was writing, and it's still today, there's this idea that the gods are mysterious and only a few elect can know their plan. It's all this big mystery and we just got to like fumble around with our eyes closed and hope we don't run into something bad. And Paul says, no, God isn't like that. Jesus isn't like that. Guess what? You can know the plan of God and here it is. Everything is going to come under the authority of Christ. Everything. Because Christ has been seated above every ruler and every leader, and I'm getting ahead of myself because it's in the next passage. Um, everything's going to come under the authority of God. There is a plan, and you were chosen to play a part in the plan. Every single one of you. This is the whole idea of being called. There's a plan. You have a part to play. And you have the choice. You can either can do life your way, and ignore the plan, ignore the calling, ignore the thing that God has designed you and made you to do, and it might work out. Or you can acknowledge the fact that you were called. You can acknowledge the fact that you were set apart. He talks about being holy. That's what holy is. Holy doesn't mean being sin-free. Holy means that you were set apart for glorious purpose. To not get distracted by the common things of this world like sin and temptation. And, but to set yourself apart to be used by the holy God of the universe to, be, to do great and amazing things that only you can do. You are chosen. You are gifted. If you need a good thing to start your day with, remember this. You are called. There's a plan and you play an important part about it. And the humbling thing about that, everyone's like, oh, not everyone. Most, some people are going to be like, oh, look at me. I'm so important. Guess what? If you don't do your part, somebody else will. Because God's plan still moves forward. And I think that's the scary part about being chosen and called is that you have a part to play. But if you don't do your part, somebody else will and you're going to miss out. It's not to say that you can't pick up the slack. It's not to say that you, you know, whether you are the same age as Aria or the oldest person in the church, um, you still have a part to play. You're still here. God's still speaking to you. God's still moving in you. God can still move through you. You still have a role to play, not just in this church, but in the kingdom. You are chosen. You are called. You are gifted. There is a plan. It's time for each and every one of us to do our part, which comes back to the first question I asked. Do you know your calling and how sure of it are you? Do you know what your part is? Do you know where you fit in it? And the whole, and then it comes back to the question, and I hate this question, but it, it comes up in everything, right? As we sit there and like, okay, I have a plan, there's a purpose for me, there's something for me to do, what's in it for me? What's the perk for me if I do my part? What does God say? There's an inheritance waiting for you. There's abundance waiting for you. You're going to share in eternity with Christ Jesus. I think that's, that's a perk. Last I checked. 
There's good things in store. There is freedom. As we talked about, God, Jesus breaks every chain. You're made a new creation. You, <laughs> there's nothing but upside. What's in it for me? Everything. And the really interesting thing is in the midst of talking about plans and talking about, talking about purpose and will and God's plan and da, 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 all this other stuff, what does Paul say at the end? Starts off talking to the Jews, which I don't know if anyone here is Jewish, but he starts with the Jews. He says, you were set apart for one purpose, to praise and glorify God. He said, the Gentiles, which is all of us. You have experienced, you've come to know the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you declare to him as the Son of God, and you with your heart believe that God has raised him from the dead, and you declare him as your Lord and Savior, you are saved. And as soon as you are saved, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit to have the inheritance that God has set apart for you, so that you can, what was the last three words he said? Praise and glorify God. Man, that whole idea of praise comes back again. You are set apart to experience the goodness and the goodness, (laughs) the good things that God has poured out for you so that you can praise and glorify him. And through the praise and glorify and the lifting up of his name, others would see and be drawn because you serve a good God who does good things and they want a part of it. They want what you've got. Start everything with praise. Start everything with seeing the good. How's your praise? How is the glorifying of God going? Paul says in 2 Corinthians, do everything to the glory of God. Everything. You know what he's talking about in that passage? Eating and drinking. He's not talking about being a martyr. He's not talking about going to a cross. He's not talking about going across the world to do mission work. He's talking about eating and drinking. Do everything, even what, you, what happens at the dinner table. Do everything to the glory of God. You have been saved for this, amongst many other purposes, to praise and glorify God. Paul finishes with this, starting in verse 15. Ever since I first heard of the strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love of, for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray constantly for you, asking God the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called, his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. The church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Paul prays a prayer for the church, and he prays it then, and I'm going to pray it over you as well. <clears throat> and this is, the, this is the meditative part. This is the part where we need to maybe do a little bit more legwork. Because he, in, the, in the midst of this passage, he prays that we as God's people would understand three things. 
And this week, as you read through the scripture and you pray and you spend some time with God, work on understanding these three things. The first one, Paul prays that you would understand God more. Like I said, God is not a secret. He has given us his word so that there is a plan. We can know the plan. We can know the ways. We can know him. And by knowing him more, we understand ourselves better. We understand what our plan, our part in everything is. By understanding the God who created you, we as the creation can understand ourselves better. So Paul says, first and foremost, I pray that you would understand God more and more. That you would do the legwork to know him intimately, to grow in that relationship, to have that conversation, to be intimately connected to Jesus Christ above all. Paul says, I pray that you would understand more and more who God is and what he's about, what his plan is, what his will is, and how he is using you to accomplish that plan. Understand God. Paul prays that you would understand the confident hope that he has given you. He says, as people who are called, or people who are part of this plan, you can have the confidence to know that God is with you, that God has called you into this. Because when you become sure of your calling, and you're sure that this is what God has called you to do, you don't have to question yourself, you don't have to question God, you don't have to question any. You just go. This is the thing that I'm called to do. This is the thing that God put me on this earth to do. It's going to, am I going to have trials? Yes, but the trials are meant to form me and mold me and make me better and make me stronger and refine me so trials bring them on successes bring them on let's go like you read paul paul's like so obnoxiously confident it's like what do you know that we don't well actually he knows the same thing we do is just maybe he believes it more than we do that you would understand the confidence you can have in Jesus Christ, that there is a plan, that all things work to the good of those who are called, that each and every one of you are called, that you have a plan, that God has gifted you, and mm, now I'm rambling, but that you would understand how confident you can be, how firm the hope is that all things work to good, that there is a hope and a future and an eternity, and that we're all working towards it. That you would understand the confident hope found in those who are called. The third thing, and this kind of ties with the second one, Paul prays that you would understand the incredible greatness of God's power for you. In the last passage, Paul says that you, when you believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God put the seal on you of your salvation, the guarantee of the inheritance. And what is that seal? The seal is the Holy Spirit. And that same spirit that dwells in you is the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that seated him at the right hand of God now rests and dwells in you. It comes back to the whole Romans 8. If God's for us, we could be against us. If I've got all of that living within me, why, how, ooh, how can I not be confident? The problem is I don't know if we understand what, how great that power is. Maybe we don't know how great the power is and how much it's actually at work in our life. And so Paul says, maybe that's the problem. Maybe you just need to understand how great that power is. Maybe you just need to see how much it's at work and how (laughs) 
I think sometimes we undermine how much God is at work and we, we undermine how powerful he actually is. So Paul's great prayer, understand God, understand the confident hope that you can have because you're called, because you're set apart for great and glorious things. Understand the power that dwells within you to do those great and glorious things he's called you to do. And understand how great that power is, how unimaginable, how immeasurable the power is that dwells in each and every one of you who have declared Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to get Mitch and Emily to come on up. We're going to pray. Let everyone bow your heads. Father, I pray for everyone in-house, online, in Redverse, and everyone who tunes in and watches this down the road. Father, help us to understand. Help us to understand you, who you are, how good you are, that you have great and glorious things, and that you don't hide things from us. I thank you, God, that you are an open book, and we can just ask And God, I pray that we would be people who ask. I pray that we would be people who want to grow in our relationship with you the same way we grow in relationship with our friends and our, our spouses and our families because we just want to understand people. Well, God, help us to understand you. God, help us to understand our call. And as we understand our call more and more, God, may our confidence grow that we are walking in step with you, that we are doing the thing you made us to do. Father, may our confidence just be oozing out of us because of the hope that we have that there is good and glorious things waiting for us. Father, help us understand the power. Maybe we understand that there's power, but maybe we don't understand how great it is. Help us understand how great that power is that rests within us, how great the power is and the seal that you have placed on us who have declared you as Lord and Savior. God, I pray throughout the week that we would see your power at work in ways that we've never seen it before. Open our eyes to see the things that maybe we've missed. Make us more aware of who you are, how you are moving, and how you've called us to do what only we can do. And above all, God, open our eyes to see the good things that are going on. Stir in us, create in us a heart of prayer, of praise, a heart that glorifies you, a heart and eyes that only see the silver line and that see the sun behind the clouds, that see the good things that are going because you are a good God who never stops working. God, help increase our optimism increase our ability to praise you and see the good that's happening and help us stay committed to the process it may take a while because we've been so conditioned to see the bad help us father to only ever see the good may we have eyes to see and ears to hear what you're saying and what you're trying to show us I pray this in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. 
Amen.